This morning's second lesson comes from Luke chapter 6. We pick up where we left off last week in the middle of the Sermon on the Plain. So I'll be reading beginning at verse 27 from the New Revised Standard Version. Together, let us listen for the word of God. Jesus said, but I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But I say to you that listen. With these words, Jesus launches into the second part of his sermon on the plain. Those words can also be read as if you are still listening. It's a way of checking in to draw back the disciples and the crowd because, you see, there's a good chance that he has flustered or even angered those who are laughing, well-fed, and or well-heeled with his words about woe for those in their shoes. Warnings about thinking we're somehow on God's good list because we have all that we need. And you may have riled up others who hear his words of blessing and warning as a rallying cry to dole out holy woe on the wealthy and the well-heeled in God's name. There's also the word but in there. But before you get carried away, Jesus seems to say, before you misunderstand and run off and misquote me, hear this too. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who mistreat you. Does anyone else want to turn around and go back to that blessings part? That was hard. This is harder. When dividing lines are being drawn in concrete at every turn, when troops are lining up at borders around the world and in our own communities, when we are worn out from endless skirmishes and exhausted by the bullies, the last thing I want to be told to do is love the ones who hurt me in mine. 
Our tradition is not the only one that calls its followers to such lofty goals. This past week, I was reminded that Buddhism does as well. At one point in a conversation I was reading about, Sharon Salzberg, an author and practicing Buddhist, said, the word love is so loaded. And our fear, of course, is that it means something very passive and complacent. I'm going to let people hurt me, and I'm going to let them oppress other people, and I'm going to be a doormat. She says it's very hard to see love as a force, as a power, rather than as a weakness. She's right, of course. The word love is loaded, as is this passage from Luke. This passage has been weaponized by those who act anything other than loving to insist that spouses stay in abusive relationships or that Jesus is calling us to be passive. But Salzburg is right. Love is anything but passive. Love is a force, and that is just what Jesus wants his disciples to hear. Love is the guiding force by which he calls his disciples, his church, his body to live. It is the primary force by which he lives, after all. I stumbled upon another, yet another holiday that I had forgotten existed this past week, Random Acts of Kindness Day. Apparently it's been a thing for years. I saw posts of people and companies flooding their neighborhoods and workplaces with lovely acts of beauty and kindness. Some gave out flowers to strangers. Others posted words of encouragement in public places. It was lovely. And it is not what Jesus is calling us to do. Yes, it is good to make a stranger smile. It is right to be intentional about spreading goodness wherever and whenever we can. And the life of the disciple community is about more than the occasional random act. To live as Jesus' disciples is to be continually and constantly shaped and formed and spurred on by love. Love that is forceful, patient, humble, courageous, and yes, kind. Daryl Davis is a black musician who grew up going to integrated schools around the world. A child of parents in the foreign service, Davis could never make sense of the divisions he found when he returned to the U.S. When he was 10 years old, a group of white people hurled bottles, soda cans, and rocks at him. And he was stunned and confused. He says, my 10-year-old brain could not process the idea that someone who had never seen me who had never spoken to me, who knew nothing about me, would want to inflict pain upon me for no other reason than the color of my skin. How can you hate me, he remembers wondering, when you don't even know me. Later as an adult, when he was playing piano at a bar in Maryland, a patron approached him and said Davis was the first black person he'd heard who could play as well as Jerry Lee Lewis. Davis shared that he and Lewis were friends. And that Lewis had actually learned much of what he knew from other black musicians. The man wasn't convinced and then told Davis he was in the Ku Klux Klan. Amazingly, Davis and the man continued to talk and left as friends. And Davis repeated this pattern time and time again. He now has a collection of hundreds of hoods and robes from people who have left the Klan after becoming friends with him. 
One former Grand Dragon, Scott Shepard, even credits Davis with saving his life. He says, Daryl extended his hand and actually just extended his heart too. And we became brothers. Shepard ended up giving the clan, leaving the clan and gave his robes to Davis. Davis extended his hand and his heart to an enemy, to one who had previously believed that he was subhuman. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Keep praying for those who mistreat you. And it's hard to do those things from a safe distance. In an interview a few years back, Davis said, What's the purpose of meeting with each other when we already agree? Find someone who disagrees and invite them to your table. Invite your enemy to talk. Give them a platform to talk because then they will reciprocate. Invite your enemies to sit down and join you. You never know, he says. Some small thing you say might give them food for thought and you will learn from them. Establish dialogue. It's when the talking stops that the ground becomes fertile for fighting. It's when the talking stops, he says. In recent months, I'm guessing you can imagine a whole host of scenarios where the talking, or perhaps more pointedly, the listening, has stopped. I know I can. I'm guilty of wanting to tune out those with whom I disagree. And tuning them out easily leads to dismissing them out of hand. And that's where these words from Jesus are both a gut punch and a wake-up call. Now, again, I want to be crystal clear. I recognize that this text has been misused to silence people who are trapped in abusive relationships and those who have been historically dismissed and belittled. But I do not believe that is Jesus' intent. Nor do I believe that it is the responsibility of Daryl Davis or other people of color to fix, fix the racial divide all on their own. I do, however, believe there is a powerful witness in Davis's work. Something the entire Christian community can learn from in his persistent, courageous, and radical practices. And these practices are radical in the most fundamental way. Radical means at the root, of course, beginning at the beginning. Love your enemies, Jesus says. It does not get any more radical than that. And in case we have forgotten... Even we polite Presbyterians are called to be radical in the very same way. Luke's first audience may not have had many opportunities to engage their enemies in conversation. They were, I'm guessing, not given the chance to sit at the table and reason with the Romans. But Jesus still called them to love them, to pray for them. They were also ostracized from the synagogue by leaders who feared and deeply disagreed with their following Jesus. And through Luke's words, Jesus still expects them to love and pray for them too. All of them. For Luke's original audience, the enemy lines were clear. The lines are also clear for Daryl Davis. Those lines are not always as clear for me. I do not fear for my life because of the color of my skin or what I believe or who I worship. And I don't like to admit that I have enemies. It's not how I was brought up. But not everyone loves me or what I represent. 
I have disappointed some and angered others for what I have done or said or refused to say. And I am called to love them, whether they love me back or not. And if I'm honest, I'm not all that good at that most days. And there is no way I can simply will myself to try. But that's just it. Jesus does not expect me or us to will ourselves into loving our enemies. This love is not something we generate all on our own. Love does not start with us. We receive love and learn how to love from God first. As another translation reads, live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. It is so simple and so hard. And so easy to forget, yet this is who we are called to be by the one who gives his life for us. This call is not simply aspirational. An enemy-loving community is who Jesus fully expects his church to be, period. As he moves to the end of the sermon, past the text that we read this morning, Jesus wonders aloud, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? As the world blessedly and hopefully opens up more in the coming months, there will be new opportunities for people to get to know who we are and what we're about. Almost exactly a year ago, the pastor nominating committee and I stood in this chancel and recorded a top secret video that would be, that would be shared in April. I imagined your faces and your voices as I dreamed about what we would do and who we would be together. And after eight months of serving alongside you, I know that this is a community who loves. We love to worship. Thankfully, we love to laugh. We love to study. We love to serve. We love to sing. We love to eat. We love. And my prayer is that we continue to unleash that love on those who love us back and on those who do not. To keep extending our hands and our hearts to those who welcome us and those who do not. And when we stumble, because we will stumble... May we listen again to our one true Lord, Jesus the Christ, the one who loves us first, the one who shows us mercy undeserved, the one who claims us as his own. For when we love our enemies, when we extend our hands and our hearts, when we forgive those who hurt us, when we give without expecting credit or anything else in return, when we resist the urge to retaliate, We are a loving force of the very best kind, and we look like the children of the Most High, which is exactly who we are. Thanks be to God. Amen.